Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Good to have you with us as we fight for truth, justice, and the American way. There's no doubt this week that the country's careening between one crisis and the next, and the nation is without a doubt in decline. And there's little evidence that decline is in any way manageable. Only a fool would think those crises are anything but orchestrated. A hardly stealthy Chinese spy balloon that Biden permits to float over our secret bases coast to coast for a week. The obvious alliance that Biden struck up with the Mexican drug cartels and the 2,000-mile border that they now control or the conspicuous weaponization of the entire federal government against decency, the rule of law, the American way of life, our heritage, our history, and our values. Nothing about these crises is normal or natural. The indictment of President Trump, his arrest, with even some of the Marxist dims saying, it's enough, stop. Guess who might have been listening? The most liberal appellate court in the nation. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which on the same day that President Trump was indicted by the Manhattan DA, ruled that porn star Stormy Daniels had to pay President Trump $121,972 in legal fees from a 2018 defamation lawsuit that she lost. Our guest is an icon in American law. He once represented President Trump in his first impeachment, for which the left has never forgiven him. Our guest is Alan Dershowitz, attorney, Harvard Law professor emeritus, and author of the new book, Get Trump. Alan, great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show. Let's begin with the indictment, a historic and dark document. Your thoughts on its adequacy and its likelihood of survival. I've been reading indictments for 60 years, uh, teaching at Harvard Law School, practicing. I've never read an indictment like this. You can read it over and over and over again, and there's just no crime. Here's the basic theory underlying the indictment. Donald Trump allegedly paid $130,000 as hush money to make sure that a former porn star doesn't reveal to his wife, his friends, his voters, his business associates, etc., that they had uh, an adulterous affair. The purpose of the money was to keep quiet, to make sure it doesn't become public. And Bragg says, in order to avoid being prosecuted for felonies in New York, he then immediately had to go and publicly disclose on an open corporate form the fact that he paid the hush money in order to keep people quiet and prevent the public from learning it. Has, has there ever been so ridiculous a claim in the history of America from the day that Alexander Hamilton paid his hush money to prevent an adulterous affair from coming out. There have been thousands and thousands of hush money payments. Never in the history of the country has anybody ever been prosecuted for not then putting it on a public forum. Why would anybody ever pay a nickel in hush money 
if they then had to report, oh, I paid the hush money to prevent from coming out when I'm now going to put in a public record. It's absurd. I can't even say it without smiling. Do you think that the the courts will smile as well, Uh, perhaps chuckle when they see it? No, not the courts in New York City, not the courts in Manhattan. The courts in Manhattan know this is an injustice, but uh, no judge in New York, elected judges in New York, no judge in New York is going to be the guy who walks around town with people pointing the finger at him saying, that's the man that freed Donald Trump. How do I know that? Because I defended Donald Trump once in the floor of the Senate. And nobody in Manhattan would talk to me. Nobody on Martha's Vineyard would talk to me. I became the devil incarnate. But just because I defended him once, I can imagine how much more so that would be for a judge who freed him, who actually freed him. You know, a robe doesn't give you courage. And no judge would have the courage to throw this indictment out, even though they all know that it's not worth the paper it's written on. Including uh, the judge, uh, Judge Merchant, uh, in the uh, in the court uh, in uh, New York, when that indictment was handed down. No, he's not going to have the courage to do that. Uh, you know, he has family connections to the Democrats. Um, he's just not going to do it. Uh, he, even if he knows he's going to be reversed, he'd rather blame the people upstairs in the court of appeal. It wasn't my fault. Those damn judges up in Albany. They reversed it. They're the ones who freed Trump. I didn't free Trump. No, nobody wants to be the one responsible for freeing Trump in the borough of Manhattan. In the borough of Manhattan, you cannot get a fair trial. Remember, Bragg ran and won the DA on the promise to get Trump. Now he wants the very people who voted for him to get Trump to serve on the jury to determine whether he has, in fact, gotten Trump. I mean, if somebody wrote a novel about this, it would be rejected for being too ridiculous. But that novel came true in the courthouse where I have practiced for many years in New York. And it was a sad, sad, sad day. Well, it's a pretty sad day right now. A historic uh, event, uh, a, a dark event in this country's history. And I think you agree with me on that. And yeah. the reality here is uh, New York has been become something unto itself. In addition to all of the evil we see in the partisanship and the ideological conflict that grips its nation, uh, we're, we're balkanizing the country on the basis of Marxist ideology, uh, if you wish, progressive uh, partisan politics uh, or conservative politics. We really, you know, it's one thing to say this about Manhattan and New York, that they are entitled to their ridiculous uh, uh, politics, but I can't excuse it. And I don't think the judicial system at large should do it. It's getting worse. It's getting much worse, not better. Why? Because the future leaders of the bar, the future judges, the future professors are now at Stanford Law School, at Yale Law School, at Georgetown Law School, stopping people from speaking, saying that the Constitution doesn't matter, that it's a white male patriarchal document and should be ignored. There are now 100 chapters of the National Lawyers Guild in law schools around the country. What's the National Lawyers Guild? It started as a communist front organization. It, it, It supported Hitler when the Stalin made the pact with Hitler because the Soviet Union told it to do so. Uh, it supported Israel in 1948 because the Soviet Union told it to do so. Uh, 
It then rejected Israel in 1967 because the Soviet Union told it to do so. And so you have this, uh, quote, woke progressive, hard, hard, hard left becoming more and more influential in, in law schools. And by the way, the 100 chapters of the National Lawyers Guild have a lot of professors in them as well. And so we're seeing our next generation of leaders today are in the elite law schools are being taught to disvalue the Constitution and to put politics, ideology, and partisanship above it. In my book, Get Trump, I go through all of this and I go through the history of how we got there. And I go through all of the four counts that are now being investigated against Donald Trump and show there's nothing to any of them. And if the shoe were on the other foot, if these were investigations being done of Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or Hunter Biden, everybody would be on a different side. Uh, all these progressives would be saying, oh, my God, what a terrible distortion of justice. But now they're, they're rooting for injustice. They're rooting for violations of civil liberties. Well, they are rooting and uh, cheering. And at this point, there, there is very little that suggests, to me at least, that President Trump is going to have an easy time of it. I know that his one of yeah. his lawyers, uh, Joe Tacopino, says he doesn't believe this case will get near a jury. Uh, but if it does, uh, you know, God help the president, because they don't want to give up venue. Uh, they don't want to give up uh, jurisdiction over this case because he is their avowed enemy, he being Donald Trump. Your thoughts? I, look, I, I think this case will get to a jury because I don't think judges will have the uh, courage to throw it out. And I think a jury will convict. Uh, remember, the jurors will be the same people who voted for Alfred Bragg, and the judges will be the same people who voted for Alfred Bragg, many of them. Um, if there's a change of venue, things could be uh, different. If the case, there are, there are two motions that can be made early on that might be appealable, might be appealable. One is the change of venue motion, and the other is the statute of limitations. And if they're made quickly, they'll be denied by this judge, but they can then be taken up to the Court of Appeals before there's any trial. But I do think we're going to have a trial here. I don't think we're going to see this case dismissed uh, without a trial, uh, although that would be the right thing to do. Should we have anything at all in the New York appellate courts? Are they any better than the uh, Supreme Court's uh, first jurisdiction? Well, it's a divided Supreme Court. I mean, it's called the New York Court of Appeals. It's divided. It has Republicans and Democrats. So at least there'll be some dissenting views, but the Supreme Court of the United States, I think, will ultimately not tolerate this, but it'll take, you know, the good part of a year to get to the United States Supreme Court, even on an expedited basis. And by that time, we're well into the uh, presidential campaign. Um, this is the first time in history, forget about the fact that it's the first time in history that a former president has been indicted, the first time in history that a current presidential candidate has been indicted, and I think it was the president of San Salvador, I'm not sure, one of the South American countries, who said yesterday in a tweet, don't lecture us about democracy anymore. You're prosecuting and threatening imprisonment of the man who's running against your incumbent president, and you're lecturing us about democracy? The United States has lost its standing uh, to talk about democracy as a result of some local DA who promised to get Trump the title of my book, Get Trump, is not original with me. It's completely plagiarized 
from the campaign promises of Letitia James and um, Al Alvin Bragg. And that's the campaign to get Trump beyond New York and spread, you know, all over the country. And we're going to see and then we're going to see some pushback. We're going to see some local Republican DAs trying to get Hunter Biden, trying to get other Democrats. Uh, and it's going to destroy our the neutrality and objectivity of our legal system, which is a great tragedy. Uh, the tr it is a tragedy. It's a tragedy that is not only unfolding before our very eyes, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but taking root uh, throughout. Uh, I think it's, by the way, I want to compliment you on the book, uh, Get Trump. Uh, I don't think I've seen a more timely, uh, not even from you, a, a more timely title. And you are a, a you are sagacious uh, in uh, your timing, uh, as well as your interpretation of law and politics. But I and I recommend the book to everyone. Get Trump by Alan Dershowitz. But there is in this now. I think there has to be a recognition on the part of our our thought leaders, our our lead, once uh, leaders in business, acad academia, you name it that this country is now contending with a new force, something we've never seen yeah. uh, in this expanse. And that is a Marxist force within the Democratic Party that has taken hold and now controls the federal government. And we have to acknowledge that. Or I don't think we can get much done. Do you not agree? I do not agree. And that's why I'm remaining a Democrat to fight from within the Democratic Party. I think there is an effort to do that. I don't think it has yet succeeded, and I'm going to fight back. I'm almost 85 years old. I have been a Democrat all my life. Um, I'm a Democrat not because of any particular person, but because I support a woman's right to choose, gay marriage, reasonable gun control, reasonable climate control, separation of church and state. I buy the Democratic agenda over the Republican agenda, but I don't buy the effort to try to push the Democrat Democrats into the kind of woke progressive uh, uh, extremism that we're seeing happen. My greatest enemies, by the way, are not conservatives at all. They are the radical left. Uh, that's the people that I fight against every day. And I'm trying, trying to prevent the Democratic Party from becoming what you've described it as being. I don't think it's there, but I think there's a risk it could become that. And I think it's important for people like me, the few remaining Democrats who believe in a more centrist libertarian approach to fight from within until until we've given up. I'm not ready to give up. Well, we've heard, this audience has heard Alan Dershowitz, uh, icon of American law, say that you can't trust the courts of New York, you cannot trust mm -hmm. the uh, the Marxist systems, and it's a even, at best, an even bet on the appellate courts. We know in the federal courts, that we've got uh, almost uh, a thousand people who've been incarcerated, some of them in prison for two years without trial. We mm -hmm. have uh, seven years of pers political persecution of a president without so much as a yawn from the left uh, or the progressive uh, Democrats, or even if there is such a remaining thing, mm -hmm. uh, a moderate Democrat. 
it, it is we have to acknowledge what it is our, our, the woke uh, madness is has, has permeated every department in the federal government there is no exception uh, whether it's the irs the department of defense the department of justice the fbi the irs i i mean it, this i just don't find an exception to the domination of the marxist dims and the democratic party in alignment with the deep state that control the federal government look i think there are two events that have occurred uh, over the last few years that have transformed america for the worse one was the election of Donald Trump um, and then the loss of Donald Trump, but the whole Donald Trump phenomenon, which created Trump derangement syndrome. People are just nuts. You can't talk to them. Uh, Larry David runs up to me on Chilmark. We've been friends for years. I helped his daughter get into college. We, you know, he comes to my house for dinner. He works out in my gym, screams and yells at me. I'm disgusting. I'm despicable. There's that syndrome. And then there was the murder of George Floyd. That turned America into an identity politics country where every branch of government now must, must make reparations for the horrible evils of, of slavery. And it's permeated every institution of America, the academy, the media, corporate America, political America. You cannot today say, I believe in racial equality. You cannot quote the Bible that says don't recognize faces or implicitly don't recognize races or genders. Everything turns on identity politics today. And those two events um, uh, are transformative events. Uh, and people have taken sides. You can't have a conversation in the middle. You can't say, look, you know, Donald Trump, uh, as I've said, did, did a great deal of good on the Middle East. Uh, the Abraham Accords is fantastic. The recognition of Jerusalem, the Golan Heights. I played a small role in some of these events. I worked with President Trump. I admire that. I think that's great. I don't like his views on ABCD. You can't say that uh, anymore. Or you can't say, look, it's important to increase the number of minorities in universities, but let's not do it through racial quotas. You can't say that anymore. There's no middle ground. That's what I worry so deeply about. And in my book, Get Trump, I propose middle grounds. I propose ways of dealing with some of these issues that don't hand over the narrative to the extreme extremes on the left or the extreme extremes on the right. And where would we find such bipartisanship, such moderation uh, that uh, we would accommodate uh, the Marxist Dems uh, who are demanding uh, control of this country uh, and the reversal of our heritage, our values, uh, whether it be the Judeo-Christian uh, mm -hmm. culture that has uh, created all of this. Uh, this is I can tell time... you where to find them. I can tell okay. you where to find them at, I, I, at the ballot box. Ah. Okay, you find it at the ballot box because I think that when radical right or radical left people run for office against good moderates, they tend to lose. Not always, but they tend to lose. America is a centrist country. We need centrist leaders. We need courageous leaders who are willing to lose the votes of the extremes on either side and say, look, America is a country in the middle. You can be a liberal conservative. You can be a conservative liberal. You can be a moderate. You can be a libertarian. But we have to marginalize the extremes on either side. And that's what 
I've been saving up for all my life. That's what I'm going to spend whatever the good Lord gives me left of my life to fight for moderation, Americanism. When I walk into my house every day, my little apartment in New York, I turn to a wall in the entry place, and I see an original copy, an early copy of the Declaration of Independence. I see an early copy of Tom Paine uh, book. I see an early a letter from George Washington. I see a letter from Alexander Hamilton, from Jefferson, from Lincoln. These are the people who inspire me. These are the people who keep me going. I want to make sure that the values that they created for America, separation of powers, uh, uh, checks and balances, remain the central part of our constitutional democracy. I admire your idealism. Uh, I admire your patriotism. I, I think it's wonderful. Uh, but I know right now anyone uh, in this country uh, listening to this show and to you who is a Marxist dim just said, my God, he recited how many names, uh, founding names of this nation who own slaves uh, and and uh, should, you know, as part of uh, the national original sin. That is the way they view the world. And when you That's talk about That's the way they modern... do it, and we have to fight back, and we have to tell them that, you know, the Declaration of Independence um, we... did not include the right of property in the Declaration because Jefferson didn't want to um, permanentize the ownership of slaves. These are complicated issues. Washington's wife owned slaves, but he didn't. Um, you know, Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, not everything he said about blacks was perfect. The perfect is the enemy of the good. And we've had phenomenal leaders, and I fight for our legacy. Um, and uh, uh, my family loves America. We've been here since 1889. We were rescued from the pogroms of Europe. As so many Americans were rescued from discrimination and bias and bigotry. We don't want to see it return to America. It's too late. Alan, it's here. No, we're and it's, fight. It's, it's, I'm not giving up. This is there I'm is systemic up. there is systemic racism, there is systemic extremism, and it is mostly, mostly, if not uh, predominantly, on the left. And we, well, I'm fighting I, it I, on I, the left because that's my tradition, and that's where I come from, and that's where I have to fight the fight. And I, I think, think people on the right should fight the fight against extremism on the right. Yeah. I wish that every progressive in the country would follow the standard uh, that uh, you carry repair to that standard mm -hmm. and the and the country is on its way to uh, to salvation but right now Donald Trump you call, you, you made it almost sound like it was Donald Trump's fault but that there was Trump no, no, I'm suggesting it's a phenomenon no it's a phenomenon that he uh, was in part responsible for in the sense that he was the person who said I'm running against the establishment, I'm running against the deep state, I'm running against this. You know, he's a provocative person. You can describe provocative in neutral terms. I'm not blaming it on him. I'm just attributing part of it to him. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, because he is uh, Donald Trump, he stood up for America first, uh, for balanced trade, uh, the uh, withdrawal of our troops from foreign remote uh, outposts and postings, that he should be applauded by the left because I'm a product of the 60s. I remember when that was a serious issue for the left. They wanted no, our I troops at home. And moderates wanted a modest foreign policy. That is precisely what Donald Trump offered America and was rejected 
maybe not at the ballot box, but by a rigged election as Donald Trump all, predicted all in I May want, of 2020. All I want is nuance, moderation, recognize the goods of every side. Every side has some goods to say. You know, I even agree with what President Trump said when he went to Charlottesville. He was talking about people who don't want to tear down the monuments. And in that context, he said there are good people on both sides and there are bad people on both sides. And, of course, that was totally um, misunderstood and misinterpreted. Um, There are good people on not on every side, not for every issue. Obviously, the people who march in Charlottesville saying we want to replace them, et cetera, those aren't good people. But there are good people who don't want to tear down the monuments. Uh, I'm among them. I want to move them to museums, perhaps, where they can be subject to education and teaching. But I want moderate solutions, and that's what I'm opting for. Unfortunately, one of my moderate solutions requires me to leave in a minute because I have another obligation. But it's always a pleasure to return to your show, which I had so many good times on in past years, and I hope you continue educating America for many, many more years. We're going to take that as your concluding thoughts, Alan. And yes. <laughs> uh, you're and you're leaving us with uh, with the inspiration uh, to to find uh, moderation. I hope that uh, that can be achieved. I am highly skeptical, as you probably have inferred long ago. I'm a skeptical ago. person as well. I'm a skeptical person as well. But my final message is: please buy my book, Get Trump, because that will send a powerful message to Bragg and others. There are people out there watching him. There are people out there holding him accountable. Alan Dershowitz, a great American. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Here tomorrow, Republican strategist and pollster John McLaughlin on the extraordinary polling numbers for the 45th president. Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, God bless you. God bless America.